Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G., Bring in the energy, bring in the good vibes. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for being here. We have a great episode for y'all today. We've got Sarah Kennedy. She's a comedian out in New York City from New Mexico, in New Mexico right now. We'll hear about her journey and so much more. I love this episode because we first started talking when I hit record. And it felt like she and I were old friends. Like we were just sitting at a bar shooting the shit. We were riffing off each other. We were laughing at each other's stuff. We had a good time. And we hope that y'all enjoy this conversation. And stay tuned at the end of the episode. Sarah was nice enough to share a clip of her stand-up with us. So stay tuned. You can check out her stand-up since we can't really do shows right now. So that'll be fun. Get some LOLs in there. And a, a few... Random things before we get this episode kicking off. We would love your recommendations for queer things to watch. I just watched The Prom on Netflix last night. I loved it. I cried my eyes out for a number of reasons. One, it was sappy. And I love sappy stuff. Two, it had such an amazing cast. You had Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman and uh, James Corden, Tracy Ullman, Carrie Washington. You had so many wonderful people in this movie directed by Ryan Murphy, who does all the American Horror Story stuff. And I love that all of these actors felt it was important to tell an LGBTQ story in a mainstream media. And the more we have that, hopefully the better the world will be, the more understanding and tolerant and wonderful the world will be for queer folks everywhere. So I really do appreciate that aspect of it. But maybe you didn't like it. Maybe you loved it. Let us know on our social media Twitter, Queer to My Heart, Instagram and Facebook, Near and Queer to My Heart. And one more quick announcement. We have been working really hard on our merch website. We're at TeePublic. That's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C. The link's in the liner notes and it's all over our social media. Uh, So look up Near and Queer to My Heart there. We have some really cool new designs. We got a sturdy lesbian lumber design. We have an owl and older, wiser lesbian design. And then we have our logo Queer Heart, our our unicorn, we have him in different colors and different states of being. So check all that out. If you want some cool shirts or magnets and also to support us at the same time, it's a win-win. Just like this episode. So we're going to get to it. Let's welcome Sarah Kennedy. Hello. So we're here with Sarah Kennedy, who uh, is a comic currently out of New York City, uh, but is in New Mexico right now. Oh, yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. 
Hey, Sarah. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being on the podcast. Super excited to pick your brain about a million things. Just wanted to first start off by how how is New Mexico right now? What's what's going on there? It's wild. Okay, so we're New Mexico, everybody knows, is a desert. And I'm sure everybody has like a Roadrunner Coyote cartoon kind of image in their head about what we look like. Uh, we are currently covered in snow entirely. Because <laughs> the world is not ending. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do people have masks on at least because it's cold? At least because it's cold. Yeah. I mean, our COVID numbers have kind of gotten a little bit crazy here, which is wild because um, I watched it all happen in New York while I was here. And then I was like, whew, missed that one. And then no, it just took a little while to get here. But it's it's here. We're masking our way through it and st- trying to stay home. Is stuff open there? Did it close there? Is it still closed? We closed everything down pretty quickly. We actually have a pretty science-based governor, which is oh wild. That- What's that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's wild that that has to be a thing that can maybe set your governor apart from other governors. But uh, <laughs> she really believes in science. And so she shut everything down right away. And she's been really, really, really like careful about what she opens and when she opens. But I think everybody else in the state got too mad at her and she got really pressured to open things up a little bit faster. And so she did. And then here we are. That's how it is. Cause I'm in Louisiana. So I'm in new Orleans and people don't believe me, but we have a democratic governor who actually got reelected by some miracle. He almost lost to basically like a, baby Bob Dole. <laughs> this guy, his name was Eddie Rasponi and his he, he talked like this. He's like, hi, I'm Eddie Rasponi. That's just how he sounded and he almost won. There was this great uh, advertisement, which they used to play it on Hulu, which showed me nuts, but it was Eddie Rasponi, this like, I'm 5'2", he's probably like my height or shorter. And he was throwing a football so that he could look, you know, tough and manly. And it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> And he still almost won. It was, uh, but yeah, anyway, we have a a Democratic governor and he is getting a lot of pushback and he has given in a lot more than I would like because mostly everywhere here is Republican and they don't want to close things. And, you know, I've seen a lot of that pushback here. Yeah, it's wild. I just can't even believe that it's come to this. I just, I don't don't know. Every day I wake up and I'm like, oh no, still in the nightmare. Okay, that's fine. Okay, okay. (laughs) Because I used to, I lived in New York like, Oh God, it's been like 15 ish years. And the one thing that I'll always, you know, and I go back to visit every couple of years. I have family there. But the one thing I love about it is there's always so many people. I love getting lost in a crowd. I love feeling the energy of people around. And I love taking public transportation. I love just walking in Times Square. I I love all that stuff. Even the cheesy stuff. I, I love it all. And to even picture that New York would be empty or empty for New York is incredible to me. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, there, I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't miss getting to just be part of the movement of New York. Like, it just seems like from the second you leave your house, you're in movement and you're just among people. And to think about it being dead, quote unquote, or <laughs> an anarchy jurisdiction or whatever that was, that just seems so wild to me. And then it hasn't been until really watching all these videos of people standing in line to vote that I've been like, there it is. See, those are the people. The people are, they're there. They're just, they've just been inside all all these last couple months yeah so you're from originally from new mexico yeah i grew up here i mean i was born in new mexico i grew up here i went to college here i 
was a full-on adult here for many years. And then I started doing comedy here and there's no comedy club in the state. So I would do road work and things around the region, but it was like, if I'm going to take this seriously, I need to go someplace where this is taken seriously. And so the first time I ever went to New York, I had that exact same feeling that you were describing earlier where it's like, I was on the subway and I was just like, oh, yes. Like this is that, like, I was just nonstop extrovert energy kind of stuff and then just exciting promise and just like all kinds of cool things to go and do at all times and so I was like oh definitely moving here and so I just like dove into it (laughs) as quickly as I could. I really love that because I I think you know when you ask people for advice especially about comedy or acting or uh, some sort of performing the kind of thing is like go where the stuff is go Mm -hmm. you know where the clubs are where the promoters are where the late night shows are being yeah, exactly. So that was kind of my whole thing. Like I was just like, let's dive in and let's let's just get as far as we can. And I was doing great. Because like sometimes when I tell people like, oh, I'm back in New Mexico for a little while, people are like, oh, that's, that's really too hard. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going back. Uh, I love it. And there's nothing that happened to me or anything like that. We just came out to me and my fiance to plan our wedding because it's cheaper and really beautiful to do a wedding here in New Mexico. And we wanted to bring all of our New York friends out so they could see like the sky a little bit for a weekend <laughs> and like just yeah. have like do that I even had like my my job was like waiting for me a year out and like doing all this stuff like it was just basically left everything like as it was and then COVID hit and it was just like oh well it'll be fixed by Memorial Day and then we were like well it'll be fixed by our wedding and then it was like well it'll be fixed by next year so it's just I, who knows I don't even know I remember when everything first started uh, my girlfriend's birthday is in April mm. and we kind of were like all right you're birthday is going to be it's going to be a COVID birthday but don't worry because my birthday is Memorial Day weekend I mean we were supposed to go to Pensacola for there was a pride fest they were doing a pride comedy fest that I was part of we had rented a condo like we were like we're going to Pensacola and we're going to celebrate your birthday and my birthday and pride and it's it, Memorial Day is when it's going to be back on yeah and then my birthday came and went <laughs> um, and now you know we're looking we're praying for 2021 we don't even pray and we're like maybe we should maybe prayer is, is actually the answer. Put those hands together and let's try something new. Yeah. <laughs> and nothing else has worked, so. Yeah. <laughs> Where in New Mexico did you grow up? Uh, so I was born in a small town in New Mexico, but I moved to Albuquerque, which is the biggest town in New Mexico, when I was like three. So pretty much here the whole time. Do you call it Albuquerque? Is that a thing people call it? Is that a weird question? No, uh, but I will say, because there's there's a place in northern New Mexico that's called Abiquiu, and it's got a big lake and like all this stuff, and it's like a big place where people who have boats and stuff go. But you can abbreviate Albuquerque by spelling it Albuquerque, so (laughs) A-L-B-U-Q. I only asked that. I was listening to this podcast with Matthew McConaughey, um, and he kept saying Albuquerque, and I was like, is that a thing he says, or is that what the cool kids call it, or is that something completely different? And apparently it is absolutely completely different. That's a McConaugheyanism. <laughs> he's a very energetic guy, I'll tell you. Yeah, he's a real character. And then did you see all that stuff that came out that, this week on the internet about his mom and how his dad died while him and his mom were hooking up? He talked about it on the podcast and he thought it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yep, see, it's, a big, it's a big story. So yeah, that was a big part of it. Well, it's funny because he's like, my, that's what my dad said. He said he was going to go out like that and he sure did. And- <laughs> 
and I was just like, wow, you made this like, this should be a really awkward thing to talk about. And you were totally, it's not awkward to you at all. He made it like a cowboy story. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for, for college, you said you stayed in New Mexico. Were you mm-hmm. still in Albuquerque or did mm-hmm. you venture anywhere? No, I mean, I ventured across town. I finally moved out of my parents' house and that was nice. Yay. Yeah, that was cool. And then that's when I met other gay people. <laughs> and so like I had a couple gay friends in high school and we only knew each other. And then we just kind of kept ourselves this like secret gay gang. And then when I got into college, then I was like, oh man, we can like have a whole community. Like there's really like people who are like my peers and stuff. And so that was really cool too. That was a nice part. Yeah. And you can go to clubs and bars and places where everybody's out. Yeah. That was wild. Going to like my first drag show and all that. That was great. Never forget your first drag show. <laughs> no, no, you don't. It's, it's really something. And it's awesome. My first one was in Savannah, Georgia, and I was just shocked to be in a queer bar in Savannah, Georgia. And then I was shocked at how beautiful the drag queens were. And, you know, I was almost like crying. It was just such a joyous moment to to be part of that. Yeah, that's so cool. I have friends that went to college in Savannah and they are the first people to remind me that the B-52s are from Savannah or Athens. They're all from Athens. Sorry. They all went to high school and college in (laughs) Athens. But the same thing, right? It's just kind of like, you know, it's not all Atlanta. It's also other parts of Georgia. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's a great tourism (laughs) savannah well that's the thing so i'm originally from la i went to school in new york and then somehow ended up in new orleans but but i really growing up in la my parents are from new york so we always went back there i really thought that the middle of the country didn't have anything to offer me yeah like i i had this elitist coastal i i was one of those i was 100 percent take responsibility for that was one of those and then now that i've lived in new orleans and i've really traveled around the south i've done some midwest traveling especially with comedy it's really gotten me to to other places I would never be. And there's so much amazing shit that I would have just overlooked. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, but I'll be the first person to say that I, even having grown up in... I guess New Mexico is about as middle. I mean, if Texas wasn't so big, it would be more middle. I still think, oh, I'd rather be on the coast. I'd rather be like, I don't know. So, but New Mexico is fantastic and it's gorgeous. And what's really nice is it's this little blue oasis in between Texas and Arizona. I think the last time we went red was like maybe the first, no, it must've been the second time with George W. Bush, but that was like, that you know, that's elections ago. Yeah. And that's John Kerry's fault. Yeah. Man, that was the first one I got to vote in too. And I remember like, (laughs) all right, everything I voted for got shot down. Like him, the senators I wanted. I think I even said like, yes, I'd like you to build this ditch. And they were like, the ditch did not pass. No ditch. Oh, no. <laughs> like, come on, just give me the ditch. Yeah, come on. Not even the little, not the ditch. <laughs> give me something. Um, so I know you said, you know, in high school you had your little uh, gay club, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> were you out at that time or was that, was it just like you were out to a few people or what was your experience in high school? So in high school, I was out to five friends my diary and that was it. I was just very strategic about like wanting to pace it out as much as I could, as much as I could be in control of it. I wanted to be in control of it. And so I I had crushes on girls, but nothing ever happened with girls. I I just would go home and like my diary was just a place where I would un leash the gay of the day and I would just go through like well today was the day that Christina looked at me weird and then also do you think that maybe Xena is maybe gayer than you thought before and then you go to like, and, like, and so it was and I would make collages of things where it's like oh Hedwig came out on DVD I need to see that movie and like just keep it was like an ongoing encyclopedia of personal and pop culture gay 
just as much as I could keep it. And then when I started telling my close group of friends and then they were like, us too, I was like, that's that's cool. That's the way to do it. And then um, it wasn't until college when I had my first girlfriend and how I ended up knowing since I was like nine years old, we played softball together when I was in fourth oh, grade. Oh, of course. I love the stereotypes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's the best. And it's because Albuquerque, even though it's the biggest town in New Mexico, it's still, it's not, it's not the biggest town anywhere. So you know almost everybody around here if you're from here. That's also a very interesting way to <laughs> go through <laughs> coming out. So, But it's so funny because I remember when I was not out in high school, there were just a couple girls and guys that were out. And they started a GSA, which... <laughs> Before there was a QSA, there was a GSA. And like they started, they did all kinds of, they took girls to dances and they would do, I mean, they did all the stuff that you would, I would just watch it. I would just like write about it in my diary, but not go and do it. And I remember the GSA met every Thursday and every Wednesday night, I would be like, go, go. Why don't you just go? You could even be the S if you need to just be the S for a little while. And then, then you can be the G when you're ready to be the G. And then, then, then Thursday night, my next diary entry would be like, well, I didn't go, <laughs> but I did go eat lunch in the art room. And I feel like that's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to work your way very, very slowly. Just whatever I could be comfy with. Well, I guess in my school, I don't know if it's before the time of uh, the GSA, the Gay Straight Alliance, but we didn't have one. You know, I wonder, I'm like, would I have gone? And I probably would have done the exact same thing that you did. I would have thought a lot about it. And then for fear, even though it's like a GSA, so like anybody's welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't have to reveal anything. Yeah, it's it's wild too about because I was just very aware. That was all. I was just so aware of everything around me that was gay or queer in some way. It just became the only thing I could see. And so because of that, and I, I couldn't express about it. I would just list it out, I guess. But then at the same time that all this was going on, I was watching the TV show Once and Again. I don't know if you ever watched it. It's like... I remember it, but I, I didn't watch it. It had Shane West from A Walk to Remember <laughs> in it. But it also had little, little baby Evan Rachel Wood and like a really beginning of her career, Misha Barton. She didn't have much of a career. But then like, and so <laughs> they were, they ended up dating in the show. And I remember there was so many other storylines going on in the show that I could watch it with my mom. And it wasn't a big deal. And they had a GSA in that show too. And they, they all went to it. Like it was nobody, like every kid went to it. And I was like, there's no way that's like, that's what it's like in real schools. <laughs> I would just kind of keep an eye on who do I think is going to go today? Well, I'm sure it'll be that girl from the soccer team. And I bet it'll be that other girl from the soccer team. And <laughs> and I'll think about it and I'll eat in the art room while I ponder. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it sounds like you were very self-aware and you weren't repressing like, these are thoughts I'm not going to have. You're like, I will have these thoughts, but it's not going to go any further than this. Yeah, there was definitely a big part of it too. I mean, I remember writing a lot about being like, how do you know you're gay if you've never even done anything? And then it was like, well, when, when are you going to get even get a shot to do anything? There's not, there's nobody or nothing, you know, like you're never going to be brave enough to even tell another person. I would write letters to my parents being like, I never will tell you this. I would write letters to other people just being like, man, I wish I could tell you this because it would really explain a lot of what happened in our interactions earlier or whatever, but it would just be just self-contained and just trying to keep it all with like a lid on it, I guess. Yeah. I always think it's interesting, you know, the... I guess the the coming out. I'm starting to re, rename it, at least for myself, the coming out experience. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to find a way, like maybe journey, which sounds a little cheesy, but like the whole process, because it's not ever just this singular moment. It's always, you know, there's layers and there's a time where you're like, I'm gonna do this, and I kind of did it, and I pulled back, and I, you know, took these steps, but I didn't take these steps. So, you know, I always think it's it's interesting everyone's thought process, and then 
kind of where where they're at emotionally, where they're at with religion or all the different pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, definitely. And for me, it's wild. Like I grew up in a church that was a community stalwart type of church where it was a social space without being a mega church. So we were almost like the last wave of like small community churches in my neighborhood. And I grew up with a lot of kids my age who also went there. I went there for preschool. My parents ended up maintaining it. They were the groundskeepers of my church growing up. So I was there constantly. And I got to see all these like extra texts and extra things that people who just went on Sundays never got to see. And I loved it. I mean, I just, because I like basic trivia and pop culture stuff or whatever. So I just banked whatever I was reading when I was bored at church. And so it got to be the point where I was thinking about going to like theology school as a grown-up and maybe being a pastor as a grown-up and then my parents were just like "Ooh, no and I don't know maybe I don't know what it was in because in it was before I came out to them so they were probably I don't know what it was but they were just like maybe that wouldn't be a good match for you but <laughs> why did they think that usually people would be like great be it be a nun be a pastor like they um well I you know honestly uh our church because they were the groundskeeper of it. And then because we were always there, we also just got really, really involved. So like my parents ended up, my mom ran the middle school communion thing that I did every week. And then my dad became like the president of the council at one point. And then they just got to know our pastor on a level where he became very human to them. And they were like, oh, you're like, a jerk <laughs> like you're like an <laughs> egomaniac jerk and so then they were like oh that's what pastors are they're just like a bunch of narcissists who think that they know what god has in store for other people and i think that that ruined them on so many aspects of just like even believing in something bigger but definitely on the idea of like what pastors are supposed to be to other humans like in their community <laughs> so they're feeling this way and you're like i want to be one of those guys <laughs> And then they were like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so that was nice. I think they probably saved me too, because I bet if I had gone through that kind of stuff. And then at the same time that I was figuring out stuff about myself or like just a little bit on a delay after I'd figured it out, I would have been terrified or whatever. I don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. So it was good that I probably went in a different direction. Yeah. Well, it would have changed the trajectory of, of your life. And it, that could have resulted in repression or because becoming a public figure in that way versus becoming a public figure as a comedian there's different expectations oh absolutely yeah absolutely and I think it would have definitely I mean I probably would have stayed I don't know a lot of people who like get off the bus in New York with two bags and they're like where can a nice young pastor get this stop in this town <laughs> Penn Station <laughs> right <exactly. laughs> you can get a start just at the station <laughs> Someone might listen. <laughs> you can trick a tourist or two. You're going to want to print some pamphlets. <laughs> That's also great that as a, a female identifying person that that you saw that as an option because a lot of a lot of religions that is a male profession, I guess if you want to call it a profession, but that is not a space for for female folks to be. Yeah, definitely. And I think I mean because I grew up Lutheran, which is Catholic light. So you get a lot of the historical Catholicism, but you don't get any of the full-on guilt and the, like, culture of Catholicism. Like, I could watch The Exorcism and not feel like I've done something wrong. So, and then all of my, like, youth leaders and stuff growing up, they were all women. And pretty much everybody but my pastor all through my, like, this is so weird. This is now becoming, like, my faith journey as well as my coming <laughs> journey. Like, going, growing up in my church, almost everybody who, like, had some sort of touch point in me learning anything about the church was a lady. So it, it never even occurred to me that a girl couldn't be a pastor until 
right when my family left our church that we got a girl pastor and then people pushed back on it so hard wouldn't let her do the main services and would just talk bad about her and like all kinds of stuff. it was wild and i remember being like thank goodness i don't go there anymore i couldn't stand to watch something devolve like that yeah i mean just because she's a female all of a sudden she can't do the same thing as that that other dude did that nobody seemed to like in the first place right or that all the ladies had been doing already but just in a more private school teacher way instead of the front of the you know like a nurse way not a doctor way if that's a, <laughs> if that's a good metaphor for it but. yeah no totally your parents left before she came in was there was there a reason that they left the church Yeah, I mean, my brother and I both got confirmed. So that was like their main thing. My parents growing up were always just like, we just need to get our kids over these thresholds and then (laughs) we're fine. So getting confirmed, like getting baptized, having our first communion and getting confirmed was big in the church. And then my mom was like, just go to college. <laughs> get in there. And so like their entire push for us in education was just like getting to college because both me and my brother uh, were first generation college kids. And I ended up with my degree and my brother ended up going down a completely different path, but it ended up working out fine for both of us. So I was like, that's my life. Uh, I'm Jewish. Oh. And so my parents were like, you have to get your bat mitzvah and then you never have to go again, but you have to do this bat mitzvah thing and don't fuck it up. Yeah. And I was like, cool. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. I love that so much. So, okay, I have I have a million questions. One of my really good friends, her son is about to get his bar mitzvah, and he's about to start the process. And from what I understand, please feel free to push back. And you can also be like, shut up, it's my podcast, and we're moving on. Oh, no, I, I love this. You know, I say all the time in the Jewish religion, we are taught to ask questions um, and not to just accept things as is. And that's, you know, Jewish people are always, we're fussy, we're fussy as a people, and we ask a lot of questions because we we were told that that was okay and they maybe they shouldn't have told us that at a young age. But please ask ask the questions. <laughs> oh, I love that. So the process of it is like, I mean, you take like Hebrew classes and then do you have, because I know I know what it's like to get confirmed both for my, whatever, however I grew up. But then also I would go to like catechism classes with all my Catholic friends. I would go like and sit with them and theirs were much more strict than ours were. Ours were just hang out and learn some stuff. Is there like a social element to getting set up for that? Or do you just do it privately and then you have your debut? <laughs> and then- <laughs> it's a, it's a both. So starting in kindergarten, you go to Sunday school and that's just once a week. And then when you hit, I think it's third or fourth grade, depending on what temple you go to, you start going three times a week. So I would go like Monday, Wednesday and Sunday. And then in your last year, you're going Monday, Wednesday, Sunday, but you're also having uh, private meetings with the cantor to go over what they call, they call it your Hof Torah portion. Um, it's basically the portion of the Torah for the week of your bar bat mitzvah. And so, you know, we, we still read out of the scroll when we do the bat mitzvah, but it's basically like, you know, in, the, in church every week you have the scripture or mm-hmm. if that's what your church does. And it's like this week, Noah got in the ark and, you know, um, so whatever your story is. Uh, your portion is you learn it in Hebrew and you have to learn how to sing it. And then you have to learn how to read it from the Torah and the Torah. The thing with the Torah is it doesn't have, it has the Hebrew. So you learn, like I can read Hebrew. I can't speak it. I don't know what I'm saying, but I know what the letters mean. But in the Torah, they take the vowels out. So you've learned the whole time, you know, they give it to you easy where you have the vowel sounds and you have uh, certain things. The Torah just has like the letters and you have to figure out based on the word, how it's supposed to sound. So it's a little trickier. And then you have, you know, the, the Jewish melancholy tones that you have to sing in. So you meet with the cantor like once a week. And then as it gets closer to your bar bat mitzvah, you meet with them a little more. So you do that. You you lead the service because it's you becoming a man or a woman. 
um, in the Jewish culture. So you lead the Friday night service and then Saturday morning service, and then you read your portion, which is about 20 minutes of you as a 12 or 13 year old singing in Hebrew to a lot of people that don't give a shit. 20 minutes. It's really crazy. And I can't believe I did it. There's a VHS somewhere to prove that it happened. The thing is, I hated Hebrew school. I didn't I didn't understand why I had to go. I also, it's part of the othering that I felt and it does relate. I think these are intersectional with, with queerness because I felt I was different. I didn't, I didn't live in a place where there was a lot of Jewish people. So I already was different. I remember I spoiled fucking Santa Claus for someone when I was like in kindergarten. Oh no. They're like, Oh, Santa brought me this. And I was like, my mom said Santa's not real and I'm Jewish and he doesn't come to my house. (laughs) And uh, Really didn't understand the damage I probably did to that child, (laughs) but I just wanted to do it, be done. And then I wouldn't have to talk about being Jewish or, or be different. So I hated going. I actually, and I, in regular school, I did very well. I almost failed a couple times in Hebrew school just because I was, I didn't want to be there and I didn't do anything they told me to. And so there was 10 of us in my class and we all went through basically from kindergarten until we were bar bat mitzvah. So I saw these kids once a week and then three times a week for this whole time. And they thought that I was going to be the the fucking failure, you know, like she She's never participated in things like she clearly is being dragged here, but I'm competitive as fuck. So, (laughs) so I was like, okay, well, my mom said, if I do this, I never have to go to temple again. So I'm going to do this and I'm going to show them all up. And I did, (laughs) I did, I worked on it and I, and I did it because I knew I was like, this is my grand finale and peace out. And they were quite surprised that like, I didn't, like, I feel like some people were like, she's going to fuck this up. And, and I didn't. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, as I got older after that, like high school, I definitely just did the high, like Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah um, we would go to. And then in my, my second or third year in college, I started going to the Hillel, which is the on-campus temple, mm-hmm. student-led. And I went to a very liberal school. So it was also guitar-led and, Ooh. you know, a little, little hippy-dippy. But um, so I kind of delved back into the religion, but more of... It wasn't for the religious aspect. I think a lot of it was the community of it and just feeling spiritual in some in some way, feeling some connection that's greater than myself. Yeah, I love that. Do you remember uh, your chunk of the Torah? I'm sorry if that's also <laughs> no. I I have I don't even know what it was about because the other thing is so what they do is after you sing this Hebrew for 20 minutes and this whole Saturday service is like two and a half three hours, so you're already up there doing this after that then you give a speech about the so you incorporate what happened in that week's you know it's the same as the pastors i guess um whatever happened in that week's portion you make it about your life or what you've learned through this experience or whatever i don't remember that either (laughs) i should i should remember some of it but you know so i had to do that and that speech was actually more terrifying than the hebrew because people could understand that yeah yeah (laughs) and you're just like Oh, dating's hard. And <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> see anyone single out there? <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the whole process. So, you know, if you if you have a change of heart at some point and, and want to be Jewish, you can still get a bar bat mitzvah when you're older. You know, most people do it when, you know, they're 12 or 13. But uh, I had a cousin that did when she was like 60. So. Oh, wow. Incredible. Yeah. Because back in the day, mostly boys would get the bar mitzvahs and a lot of parents didn't think it was important for the women to get the bat mitzvahs. So a lot of Jewish women who didn't have that opportunity when they were younger 
Uh, they went back when they were older to, to get that. My mom never had a bat mitzvah. And so that's why it was so important for her. The same way you're, like you said, your first generation college in your family. I feel like that's, we were like first generation full Jew of like, we're going to get this bar bat mitzvah because my mom didn't get one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, that's great. I think that that's, that's fantastic and really cool. And I think the only time I've seen like, because I see, you know, in, in pop culture, tons and tons and tons of, um, tons and tons and tons, mm-hmm. a little bit more representation of young Jewish people going through bar and bat mitzvahs than you do. I think the only adult I've seen convert to Judaism in pop culture was on Orange is the New Black. Yes, and that was hilarious. <laughs> Gotta get those kosher meals. Yeah, That's yeah. what uh, oh, yeah. my, my mom used to say on the airplane, you know, you could ask for a kosher meal. And, and we were told by other fellow Jews that, you know, even if you're not kosher, you should ask for one because it's a fresher meal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but maybe it's older because like nobody asked for it, but they have to make it special and they have to have it available on all flights. That's like, um, I was, me and my fiance were uh, alcohol free at the beginning of the year as a, just like, well, first off, it was to lose a bunch of weight before our wedding. And then secondly, it was just like, I was sleeping bad and it would be like a cool thing to do. And so we would go to bars just to have something different to do and order their non-alcoholic beer. And <laughs> it is literally like everything you've ever seen about it and like cartoons and stuff where they just open up the freezer and like, but you would think maybe like oh there's so few that people that order it maybe it's the fresher beer it's not (laughs) they're like we have to go into the basement of the building next door because it's so old that we couldn't even keep it in our freezer we gotta keep it moving we have that Uh, one second (laughs) yeah we'll still sell you something Well, that's great. So I wanted to ask, how did you meet your fiance? What's your, what's the story? Oh, this is one of my favorite stories to tell. So I'm glad you asked that. So me and Kelly, she doesn't mind me talking about her because we do stuff together. She's also a creative person. She writes uh, novels and short stories. She's a horror writer. So Oh, that's awesome. It's kind of perfect because we both kind of need the kind of compulsive human reaction to the stuff that we make. So like I'm going for laughter and she's going for like scares. Yeah, no, you're both going for the twist, you know? It's that twist that, that nobody sees coming. Yeah, exactly. So it's that, that was a really great way um, when, we, when we met to like really hit it off. But we met on a, an app and honestly, it's so funny too because so there's that app, Her, and it, it still exists, right? Do you know? I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I, I think I missed, I was in relationships. I missed apps. And then also in New Orleans, I feel like the apps that are not the main apps didn't really hit here. Yeah. Like J-Date wasn't here. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was kind of the thing. I mean, when I was in New York, and I started being on the apps for literally just as long as it took me to meet a couple girls and then Kelly, but it was like nothing. And this app, which eventually became her, which now we have no idea because we're both in relationships <laughs> like this or not. Um, their beta was called Datch, which was supposed to be a date and patch, but it did not sound like that was what the portmanteau was supposed to be. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Right, I didn't, I didn't care for it, but it did say that it was like woman oriented, and I, so I was. That sounded great. It's so funny too because I was working at the Apple Store on Fifth Avenue at the time, which is ooh fancy one busiest one in the world and the only like one of the only ones that's 24 hours or whatever and so she lived in the upper west side because she was going to columbia and there would have been no because i at the time i lived in greenpoint so there would be no reason for us to have ever matched up if 
her job wasn't in Midtown also. So like we would just be on our breaks and then be like, bloop, there's that person. And then we'd be like, okay, cool. And then we started chatting and we went on our first date and our first date was so awesome. I knew within 20 minutes that I wanted to marry her. I like, I knew it. Oh, you had that, you had that moment. That's like a real, like imagine me and you kind of like moment. Um, (laughs) So we like had a great first date, had a great second date, third date, became girlfriends. And then we even wrote to Datch and said, hey, we're together now because of you guys. And they were like, that's so beautiful. We're so happy to hear that. We want to send you flowers. And we were like, great, here's our address for flowers. And then they folded. And and we were like, oh, is this not a company anymore? And then it took them a couple months to come back out and be like, now we're her. And I was like, okay, but can we still get our flowers? Or like, Yeah, you're like, I have this in writing. Yeah, you guys said. Pony up. So we never got our flowers, but it's okay because we – yeah, it was, I mean, I would travel an hour. It was like three or four trains to get to her apartment and her back. There's no, I mean, I was so new in New York that I didn't know that that's not how you date in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you had to be within like a five minute one train situation in order to date somebody. But like, I was like, okay, no problem. I'll go an hour each way to your house and you to mine. And then she moved to Brooklyn and then we actually lived rent free by squatting in this really fancy apartment in Greenpoint for three years with our friend. And then we moved out once we got engaged to live in our own little, oh, we're about to be married apartment. And we were like, oh, paying rent here sucks. (laughs) (laughs) That's when we started our plan to be like, well, let's let's take a year off. Let's do some stuff in New Mexico and then we'll come back. But it it was awesome. Every, Every turn of it is awesome. Even here, it's awesome. And she is so cool and funny and smart and nice and it's fantastic every day even when we argue it's best no I love that you say nice because I feel like a lot of people are assholes and Mm -hmm. and niceness is underrated yeah what I like about it the most is that uh, she is nice but not dumb and she will not let you think she's dumb just because she's nice and I tend to kind of go into some social situations in the same way where I get a little defensive when people are like oh you're nice and I'm like listen (laughs) Like, that doesn't mean I'm not smarter with it or doing things. I'm just also kind. So Yeah, I'm just a good fucking person. Yeah, niceness isn't weakness. And it doesn't mean that you're a pushover or that, yeah, like you're you're not with it or smart or whatever. Um, like I said, I think it is un- underrated, like true niceness and just being a good person. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I was almost a pastor. So the least I could do is be a good normal person. <laughs> so how, how, does, how does one squat in an apartment rent-free for three years? There are so many great articles about this on the internet because as soon as we started doing it, I was terrified and I was like, oh my God, we're going to get thrown out on the street. We're going to come home and it's going to be like rent where there's just a big like deadbolt on the doors and we're going to get into our stuff and our cats in there and what are we going to do? But this particular apartment building used to be a sweater factory and it was never zoned, the zoning never switched over to being residential, but the people who bought it and were running it had just gone in and started doing work. Like, we're going to turn this into a residential zone. And then because Greenpoint had kind of gone through the same thing that Williamsburg was going through at the time, there was maybe some loft law that was about to happen there. And this apartment complex never qualified for loft law, but they just kept renting it out and just acted like they were like the rest of the apartments in the neighborhood. And so... My friend lived there and just paid rent like normal. And then the landlord was just this 
hated man who ended up getting kidnapped in the middle of the night. And then you can look him up too. So he got kidnapped in the middle of the night and there's like security footage of him getting thrown into a van. And then he ended up getting suffocated to death because the people didn't know who they were dealing with or what was going on and everything went crazy in the van. And so then the people who kidnapped him threw him in a dumpster and lit it on fire. Holy shit. I know. So it was wild. And then the police couldn't even figure out who the suspects were because there were so many people in the community who did not like him. So then like everybody who worked for the company that was managing this and they manage a bunch, they have like an apartment building in Bushwick too. And, a bunch, and I'm sure they're all under the same kind of like whatever situations. There was just some real uproar about who's in charge and what's going on. And so even further away from them getting like LAFLA or rent stabilization or anything that they needed to have the right zoning or whatever for the thing. And so they just kept acting like they were a normal place, even though they weren't a normal place. And more and more people found out about it. And then more and more people were like, oh, no, I'm not paying rent here. Because there also, there's no fire escapes on the building. There's stuff about it. The longer you're there, the more you're like, yikes. Um, <laughs> and so you're like, I am risking my life. So this better be rent free. Yeah, exactly. And then they've got, but it's got like the best roof in all of New York that I've ever been on. You can see the entire skyline from there. It's a, it's an easy walk to the G train and a fairly easy walk through the park to the L train. Like it's, it's the, and I'm sure at this point now there are people who are listening, who are like doing all the coordinates and being like, <laughs> yep, there it is. And they're going to just go and run in. And well, yeah, the G train has like four stops and I still don't believe it exists. So that, <laughs> that narrows it down a whole lot i'm like oh a train that goes from brooklyn to queens go fuck yourself if you're not real <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so yeah maybe this is a made-up place <laughs> just like that g train <laughs> yeah it was a magical place where no rent was necessary in new york in yeah new york City, yeah so that was wild and part of it was just why don't we have like a really cool life story so all three of us me and Kelly and our roommate, Brett, we were all like, this is at the very least the coolest life story, if not setting us up for just a world of hurt at some point. So, <laughs> Wow, I'm glad I asked that. I almost like glossed over that. And I was like, no, wait a minute. I have to ask about this. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, it's still there and still not really run the right way. So if you hurried now, you could get there. It's a three-bedroom loft. What? Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> considering it. <laughs> Maybe I'll wait till after winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did want to ask, because uh, I know you said you started comedy. I'm totally switching gears, by the way, because I do want to ask about how you got started in comedy. If you wanted to be a pastor, then was there this desire to do public speaking, to perform? What made you decide, hey, I'm going to get a microphone and do stand up comedy? And then how was that path? I always growing up was in plays in school and church and everything like I, I, I have no problem with public speaking. I even had a teacher one time that was like, Sarah, do you even get nervous before you go on stage? I was like fourth grade or something. And I was like, no, not even a little bit. And she was like, that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, why not? I love it. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. And so then, but I remember when I was in fourth grade, I was obsessed with Reba McIntyre. And I thought for sure I would, I was going to be a a country singer. Like I really wanted to be a country singer. So when I was in college, I got pretty good at guitar and I performed musically and I have an okay singing voice. So that wasn't really doing anything. And it was just kind of a way for me to goof off when I wasn't at work or whatever. And then I met a boy at a party who was friend who's boyfriends with the host. And she was running around talking with everybody. And so I was kind of just trying to make him not feel left out. But he was hilarious. And it turned out he was hilarious because he was a stand-up comedian. My mind was blown because I was like, I, how does this happen in this city where there's not even a club? And he was like, oh, we do our own shows. We just put them on in bars and in theaters and stuff. And I was like, oh my God. Well, I could do that. Literally a week after meeting him, I went to a show 
and it was in a bar that no nobody was there. And I was like, oh, oh, this is like telling jokes in the woods. I could do this. <laughs> and so I was like, I'll, I'll do it next time. Let me, please let me try it next time. And he was like, oh, that sounds great because this will be a great way for us to get some people to come to the show. And uh, so I, in the, in the two weeks between shows, I told every human being that I had ever met that I was about to try stand-up comedy. And they all came. Like my parents were at the first time I did stand up. My Aww. whole group of friends were there, co-workers, the soccer players from high school, like everybody, like people like really, really came out. And that's a different situation than an empty bar, but it was still really, really fun. And actually, I think my first time doing stand up is on YouTube and I usually share it on my comedyversary, which is in August. But Oh, that's, I have mine on YouTube, but it's private. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I just, I like to remind myself of how far I've come <laughs> when I have those like shitty, you know, when you have a bad set or I've had a few weird heckles in my time where mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, but look, look where you started. You've done so much, <laughs> but it sounds like your first time was bad. My first time wasn't bad. It's just, I can see where now I understand comedy better. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of the same thing. So at the time I was a corporate trainer, so I was getting up two hours a week. I mean, I was in college, but I was a corporate trainer. So I had to teach orientation to high school kids every Monday and Tuesday. And the classes were two hours long. And so I was doing just, you couldn't even imagine the funniest jokes that were corporate and so lame. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was doing them every single week. So I felt somewhat comfortable. But then my material just was garbage. Like uh, things that I thought were universal were not universal. (laughs) Yes. And so that is the part where when I look back on it, I'm like, why did you think that everybody did that? Like, stop. (laughs) But that's how you learn. You get up in front of a bunch of people and you're like, don't, what's the deal with? And they're like, there's no deal with that. There's no deal. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Got it. I know you kind of talked about it briefly before, but was there like a moment when you're like, I have to go to New York now? Was that, or was it just kind of a thing over time? Well, yeah. I mean, I did stand up for five years here in Albuquerque and I, I don't know. I felt much more like a community manager than I felt like a performer. So like I was trying really hard since we were all, it was so DIY to just be like, you know, you could do it too. And like trying to like really create a scene and get a community going. And that took so much energy. And I I started dating another comic and they were great. And we had like a really great show for over a year. And then we broke up and it was like so hard. And then I tried to do the show by myself and they were trying to do stuff by themselves, but it's a small scene. So then it was like, we can't you can't hate each other and be around the same people all the time. Yeah. And then I dated somebody else and went through a bad breakup then too. And I was like, you know what? If there's nothing tying me here, the best thing I could do is just use this as an opportunity. And so I just scooched out there and stayed with my, again, my friend Brett, who was out here in New Mexico. He had moved out to New York to do film work because you can do film work in New Mexico. And I think New Orleans has a pretty good film credit too, don't you guys? Yeah, we used to have a really good film credit um, and we had a ton of production and then our governor at the time, who was a Republican, cut it, cut the tax credits. A lot of people went to Atlanta, but they still film Claws here. Oh. Uh, they film NCIS New Orleans. Girls Trip was filmed here. Like yeah, there's still, there's still a bunch of stuff. The Pitch Perfects were filmed in Baton Rouge. So we've had we've had a lot of film stuff here, but not it, for a while. It was exploding. They were filming the Planet of the Apes here, and like all sorts of giant productions. So it's scaled down a little bit, but the productions that are here are. They're in for all their seasons. Yeah, that's awesome. And the Pitch Perfect movies are my favorite because my girlfriend always teases me, my fiance, uh, that uh, Anna Kendrick would (laughs) – she's like, Anna Kendrick, I'm just going to beat her up. And I'm like, you can't do that. (laughs) Anna Kendrick, leave it alone. (laughs) 
yeah. So that was pretty much it. When he just yeah, and so he moved to New York to get film work, and then I was like, he's miserable in New York. You know what would make him happier in New York? Me. And so <laughs> <laughs> let him have a friend and to do my stuff and get everything started out there too. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations on everything and on the wedding that will ha- hasn't happened yet, but will happen at some point soon. Sorry, all the plans got delayed, but I think everything. Not everything, but a lot of things are going to end up better. You know, like you're going to have a different wedding than you had envisioned, but it might be better. It might be a little smaller, have, you know, people that are closer to you or, you know, have a, a different venue or theme or whatever. You know, like I think everything's going to turn out fantastic and wonderful. Thank you. And same for you. I think everybody's headed in a good direction. We just got to get over this hump. Yeah, we are so close to being over the hump. So let's <laughs> hang on. Uh, if you want to let folks know where they can find you on the internet, how they can connect with you. Sure. This is literally the part I dread the most about podcasts. And it so when I started having Twitter in 2008, I had the world's worst Twitter handle for podcasts because I was Sarah K, but I was spelled Sarah like the Triceratops, C-E-R-A, like that before time, K. And that was so bad. So it looks like Karak. How do you do that? <laughs> so I was like, no, we're not doing that anymore. It ruins podcasts at the very end. We're going to get a new one. But I was going to Sarah K Comedy because SarahKComedy.com is my website, um, which is in dire need of a refresh. But Sarah K Comedy is already taken by another Sarah K who is doing very well at comedy and good for her. So follow her on Twitter at Sarah K Comedy. <laughs> I am Sarah K and then the rest of the word comedy. So Sarah K comedy so it looks like sarah comedy see oh okay as part of comedy okay it's so bad (laughs) i'm gonna get another one i'm gonna find another one and it's gonna be real good for now on both twitter and instagram it's sarah comedy and we'll we'll post that on our socials and uh also on our liner notes so uh, (laughs) y'all don't have to write that down we'll have it written down for you (laughs) oh amanda this has been so fun thank you so much for having me on yeah thanks for doing this that's the best My goodness gracious, you guys. Okay, we're gonna spend some time together, so it's very important that you know this about me. All right, I am like a fine dessert. (laughs) I'm like tiramisu, all right, because I am layered, I am soaked in booze and coffee, and I am filled with lady fingers. (laughs) I'm also recently engaged. Thank you so much. I was so surprised. I seriously, she started getting down on one knee and immediately I was like, what are we doing? (laughs) What's in your pocket? I'll help out. (laughs) We had an engagement party. It was the first time she got to meet all of my, oh, by the way, it's a woman. I don't know. Our engagement party was the first time she got to meet all my gay lady friends from college and all my gay lady friends. I was so nervous for her to meet them because we have had this really strict hose before hose rule. (laughs) Didn't want to mess it up. It's so crazy. My gay lady friends, uh, a lot of them are having kids right now and it blows my mind. And not because I think that they'd be bad parents. I think that queer women will actually be the best parents because they've got a lot of like experience messing with like sticky toys. 
it blows my mind that my friends have kids because uh, we used to do the craziest stuff together. We used to go to the strip club together as feminists. <laughs> and a lot of times when I say that, people imagine that we would just like kick down the door and throw the ladies over our shoulders and be like, you're bad people! But that's not how you go to the strip club as a feminist, you guys. You go to the strip club as a feminist and you respect those women in their workplace and you'd be the best audience ever. Which is exactly what we would do. We would take in these giant stacks of cash and just give out money for things like song choice. <laughs> or cute outfit. Or Wednesday. It was so fun that we were like, how can we do this again? How can we go to some lady's workplace and just respect the hell out of her? and be the best audience ever. And we decided it was to go to the comedy club. <laughs> Which if you're going to the comedy club as a feminist, you're gonna see something you don't wanna see. <laughs> but I was outvoted. So I was like, okay, we'll go, we'll be feminists, but there has to be a lady headliner. So we waited. <laughs> we waited. <laughs> And then finally on the website, her headshot popped right up. Her name was Lori. She was this cute little thing in her headshot. We were so excited. Let's like go be Lori's biggest fans ever. We made posters with balloons on the corner. There were four of us, so we painted her name on our stomachs. And during like one big joke, we were just gonna be like, Lori! Which now I realize, bad idea. It really messes with the timing. So we got there, and Lori came out on stage, and the Lori who came out on stage was not the Lori in the headshot on the website. It was the Lori who was on the website, but just aged 20 years of doing road work. And I do a pirate stance, because when you do 20 years of road work, it's basically like being at sea. So Lori came out on stage, and she kicked off her set by doing a shot of tequila. And we were like, oh God, I think we have to listen to Lori. <laughs> so we hit our posters and rolled down our shirts. <laughs> but we still wanted to be the best audience ever, so we just kept sending her shots of tequila <laughs> the whole time. She did an hour, and she also did six shots of tequila. And she did not skip a beat. She was hilarious. And on her last joke, she took her shot of tequila, and she tipped it at our table, and she was like, you lesbians are all right! <laughs> and I'll be honest, that's all we wanted the strippers to say, too. <laughs> Alright guys, that's it for me. Thanks, I'm Sarah. Thank you to our guest, Sarah Kennedy, for sharing her world with you. Special thank you to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the podcast. Social media with us. You can find us on Twitter at Queer to My Heart, on Instagram and Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart. We also have a merch website, so check that out. It's at TeePublic. Check the liner notes. Check Facebook. We'll have all the links up for you, but it's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C dot com, and you can search for Near and Queer to My Heart there. Get some cool swag. Support us at the same time. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see y'all next time. Thank you.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 